Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. This is Kerry Murdoch with Practical E-Commerce. Miva is one of the very few pioneering e-commerce platforms, having launched in the late 1990s. Rick Wilson joined the company's sales staff at that time, left, then returned in 2007 as president and part owner. He's recently published his second book, and oversaw the completion of Miva's second capital raise. He's here today to discuss those two developments and more. Well, Rick, thank you for your time today. Hey, Kerry. You're welcome. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. We have a couple of fun things to address. Let's start, though, with Miva. Folks, perhaps that aren't as familiar as I am with Miva, give us a quick overview and bring us up to date on Miva in terms of employees, activity, revenue, that sort of thing. Sure. So Miva is a mid-market or emerging enterprise e-commerce platform. So our customers generally are doing anywhere from a million in online sales to 100, 200 million in online sales. It's a very high end, but similar to somewhere in between a Shopify to a Magento, right? So we're a SaaS platform like a Shopify but we allow the complexity and configurability and B2B and D2C on the same site, et cetera, of a Magenta. So that's Miva. You know, we'll do, gosh, we'll do 22, 23 million in revenue in 2022. We'll be 150, 160 employees this year. Huh. So yeah, kind of, kind of steadily marching along, growing, I would say, solidly and sustainably. As I was preparing this, Rick, and reflecting on your longevity in the industry, I know that you first joined Miva when it was in the early days in the 90s. You came back as president in 2007, I think it was. I've got to ask, looking back over all these years, what are milestones that stand out to you with Miva, with you, with e-commerce generally? It's been over 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. You and I have been talking Miva for at least 15, and so <laughs> it's been a wild ride. You know, I think looking back on it, when Miva first started and when I was still a young man in my 20s, it was sort of a very technician-driven industry. And what I mean by that is you had highly technical people who you know, knew HTML, knew how servers were set up, knew all the underpinnings. Think of it more like the maker culture, the DIY culture type of person. It was that type of person who tended to also have the ability to sell a product, right? So maybe they came from an industry where they had distribution or something. And there was a lot of, in the early days, there was a lot of first movers, right? So you happen to have a, a line on selling motorcycle helmets, so you launched the first motorcycle helmet store, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But very technical, very kind of wonky. And then as e-commerce matured, you had Amazon come in and Amazon became, you know, the everything store, the thing that you could go and get anything you wanted. And so the benefit of being the first person on the internet to sell napkins or motorcycle helmets eroded and went away. 
but you started seeing the true promise of e-commerce emerge, right? So you started seeing this idea that you could invent or sell a new product that the market needed. And it could be anything from something funny, like a cute piece of clothing or t-shirt to something we had never seen before, you know, kitschy, like a 3D printed moon to, you know, to something that changes the world. And so mm-hmm. you saw that happen. And then you saw the rise of these direct consumer brands. And a lot of that was driven by social and Instagram and now TikTok. You saw the rise of these direct consumer brands where they could cost effectively communicate directly to the audience that cared. Mm-hmm. And you really saw it move from being a technician space to a product driven and marketer driven space. And so, and in that process, Miva's, you know, Miva's milestones are being an early pioneer in the space to us buying it back and bootstrapping it to becoming a SaaS platform to becoming, you know, half of our customers today are business to business focused. Mm-hmm. Our niche is really manufacturers themselves who make the product and want to sell both business to business and direct to consumer. And like I said, kind of bigger merchants. But it's been really interesting to watch this evolve from being a technically focused marketplace or market to being a really marketer-driven and product-driven marketplace. Given that history that you just described, what's your prognosis going forward? So 20 years from now, I won't be involved, I suspect. But <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I won't be either. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I started to say you're much younger than me, so you probably will be. What are you thinking looking forward with e-commerce? You know, it's interesting. I think we're in the golden age of e-commerce right now. I, you know, five years ago, and I'm sure if we went back and listened to some of our old podcast interviews, I still talked about it being nascent or early days. Mm-hmm. I think we're really kind of right into the sweet spot of e-commerce right now. Mm-hmm. We now have the tools that are affordable to virtually everybody to offer omni-channel experiences. Because the thing that I think is easy to forget when you're sitting in, in your chair, my chair, or even an e-commerce owner's chair, is that customers don't think about the difference between e-commerce and commerce. Right? Customers. I want to buy a gift today for my neighbor's kid who's graduating from school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not contemplating as I go to purchase that gift, if I go down the purchase price, I'm not contemplating the process of, well, do I want to go to the physical store or do I want to do it on my phone or do I want to go on my laptop? To me, it's one experience. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I've picked a brand. It could be a retail brand like a Nordstrom or it could be an actual manufacturer brand. But I've picked something I want because they have a supply of something I want. And now I'm just trying to decide how I'm going to get it. Am I going to swing by the mall on my way to Starbucks? Or am I going to go on my phone? Or hey, while I'm working today in between Zoom calls, am I going to jump on their website and buy it? And that is now an accessible buyer's path. If you think about it like a buyer's journey, that buyer's journey is now accessible at all levels of e-commerce to provide where, you know, 10 years ago, that was not true. And frankly, some of the, you know, Nordstrom actually does a decent job of it, but some of the big players out there technologically are still woefully behind the scenes. Walmart's caught up a lot, Nordstrom caught up. But in many ways, it's been democratized where small sellers can now offer, and by small, I mean anyone who's not a juggernaut, Mm -hmm. can offer a better technical experience than some of the huge players, right? You know, it's easier for Carrie's hardware supply to outperform Home Depot in many ways than it's ever been. Yeah, interesting. So let's shift gears briefly. As well as being a busy CEO, you're also a successful author, and you just published your second book. It's the Dragon Proof series, if I could use that term. Yep, that's accurate. This one is Dragon Proof Principles. I read that book. Uh, Thank you for sending it. And it's a terrific read. Tell us, why did you write the book? So, you know, without boring people too much, if you take a step back to why I wrote the first book, right? So I've been doing this a long time, as you know, and Mm -hmm. anyone who listens to your podcast has probably heard me a couple times. And back in 2018, 
I wrote the first book. And the first book was really, it was in response to the rise of Amazon. I started hearing more and more merchants say, well, why have your own independent website? I can just sell on Amazon. And I thought that was a really myopic view and not a wise view. That doesn't mean I don't think you should sell on Amazon. I think Amazon's a channel and you should leverage your channels. And so I also, though, had a personal desire to write a book, personal desire to sort of express my 20 years of e-commerce history as a thought leader. And so I got the first book out and looking back on it, it's okay. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of doing it. It's not the best work I've ever done. But the idea of that first book was write this book and use it as a calling card for me, but to go out and when I meet a prospect, use the book and our content as a way to get to know people. And then this little thing called the mm -hmm. pandemic hit. And so we couldn't be out, Neva was out doing dinners. We would work with our partners to fill up a room and I would come speak, we'd give away the book, we'd buy people dinner. And it was sort of a lead generation process. And then when the pandemic hit, obviously that all shut down. And so it evolved, it morphed into a podcast. Said, well, you know, hey, I'm stuck at my house. Let's, let's start talking to all these merchants I know. And I started interviewing merchants. And what I found was, while we have the greatest customers, both Neva, but e-commerce entrepreneurs are just fascinating people to talk to. What I found in the podcast was a lot of times they had the same things to say. And so the podcast evolved from me interviewing e-commerce merchants to me interviewing some industry people to talking to sort of talking industry and then really it morphed into business philosophy. Here's what I think are the principles for success. Mm -hmm. And after a full year of the pandemic, I sat down with my podcast producer and editor and said, hey, I think we might have another book in us. And this book had a few different goals. It was principles for an entrepreneur. So it's not exclusive to e-commerce. I took a page out of Spencer Johnson, the author of Who Moved My Cheese. I wanted to make this thing a quick read. And mm -hmm. so like you said, I think you said you read it last weekend. Mm -hmm. That goal was for someone to sit down, mm -hmm. they don't read a ton and be able to get through it in two or three hours. You know, And so we took it and we started with a thesis. Here are the leadership principles I think help an entrepreneur navigate a distracting world and become successful. Now, Dragon, for listeners that aren't familiar, Dragon, your use of the term Dragon is referring to big juggernaut companies. Yeah. And, and really, in this book, we tried to evolve it even beyond that. You know, the pandemic's a dragon, right? Okay. Yep. It's these game-changing events that you're not in control of. And if I had to boil the whole thing down to one perspective, if you're waiting for there to be no dragons in the sky, no dragons circling overhead, before you become an entrepreneur, you're never going to be an entrepreneur. Right? There's no such thing as a truly clear sky. Mm -hmm. The beauty and the beast of becoming a business person is that there's always these juggernauts you're contending with, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or whether it's a life-changing pandemic. Mm -hmm. Who do you hope to read this book? Is it written for budding entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, people contemplating getting into the business, all of the above? I would say all of the above. It's really written for, it's written for someone who's probably already an entrepreneur, but maybe a budding entrepreneur. It's probably written for someone who they've always dreamt to be an entrepreneur. They've started a business, so they're on the edge of starting a business. And they're, they're overwhelmed by the day-to-day -day of it, which I have empathy for that. It's easy to get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur is you work for yourself and on any given day, you could do anything. So how do you decide what thing to do? And I think if you have principles to apply to filter those choices through a lens, that helps drive you down a chute to success. You offered... Very interesting anecdotes. You were transparent in the book and you shared a story about the pandemic and self care. Speaking of entrepreneurs, self care. Yep. Would you want to elaborate on the story that you went through with the pandemic and with your own self care? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming almost anyone who's listening to this has never met me, but I'm a pretty extroverted, outgoing person. And at times when I was a little younger, maybe the life of the party. <laughs> and what happened for me 
is, and I'm a big guy. I'm six foot six, uh, you know, 275, 80 pounds. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of just a big thing. And so pandemic hit and two things happened for me. One is I'm sitting at home, I think like a lot of America. And so, you know, five o'clock would hit and I'm back in my house by myself and there's nothing else to do. So I would have a drink. And I started drinking too much, but it was a teeter-totter. It was two things. I was drinking too much after work every night, and I stopped moving. Mm. I wasn't working out. And so I probably gained 35, 40 pounds the first four months of pandemic. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the summer of 2020, you know, I remember the day vividly. I think it was August 2nd, 2020. And I was enjoying a San Diego beautiful day, sitting by a pool at a hotel, and I got up to just use the restroom or something. And I felt terrible. like. Mm. I just felt like I was in this idyllic setting and I felt like I, you know, I just felt as horrible as I can imagine feeling without actually having something wrong that I can point to. And I thought this has got to change. And so I ended up buying a Peloton hmm. and I basically cut my drinking back to nil. You know, I'll have a glass of wine if I'm toasting a celebration or New Year's or something. But I cut my drinking back to almost nothing and got a Peloton and changed my diet and since then, I've lost 60 pounds, and I'm, I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been in my entire life. And it was a switch that went off in my head that I would equate to shifting from if life had historically for me always been one sprint after another, mm -hmm. it was realizing that this is an endurance run, and, and it should be an endurance run you enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this should really be about the beauty of the journey and just being healthy every given day. And I think all entrepreneurs are going to go through a version. doesn't mean you have to drink too much or eat too much. But whether it's you're responding to emails at 3 in the morning or text messages or you're numbing out with Netflix, I mean, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. If something in your life is taking you out of the present moment, you can't be a highly successful entrepreneur. You can't be highly successful at anything, frankly. And I, by no means am I a guru or enlightened in that sense. But I realized, and that was the switch for me, that, that this is a critical part of success. And if you try to take this out of success, you can't get there. I thought it was such a wonderful story. I mean, a wonderful you sharing your experiences. It's not talked enough. Entrepreneurs, pressure and self-care and mental issues with entrepreneurs. So you opening up with what you went through is definitely going to help others. So thank you for writing that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate it. And I hope someone somewhere hears this interview or reads that and <laughs> decides to take better care of themselves. That's it. Let's shift gears again and talk about your capital raise. Your company now has had two investment rounds. The first, of course, was several years ago, I think we've talked about, but you want to talk about both of those and why you raised the money in the most recent one in November. Sure. And I should say congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So Miva's got this long history, but really the history is kind of, there's sort of maybe four different Mivas, right? So there was the dot-com boom Miva that I was an employee of. There was the subsidiary Miva under Find What. Then there was the bootstrapped Miva that Russ and I bootstrapped from 2007 to 17. And then now there's kind of private equity back Miva. And there are four different histories of the company. And so in 2017, my business partner, Russ Carroll, needed to retire for some personal reasons. And that initial $18 million investment was a minority investment. Bison Capital had bought a, you know, less than 50% share of the company. Some of that money was used to grow the company, but a lot of that money was used for Russ to retire. And so he essentially sold some of his shares back then. And the four years following that investment were very much about us transitioning. I like to sail as a hobby. And so it was like a tack, right? So you're tacking and you're crossing the wind. And so before, you know, back, so I can't even fathom this company anymore, but back pre-2017, 
you know, we didn't use what's considered best practices. We weren't using Salesforce. We weren't using things like HubSpot. We were really a referral-based tech company. If you knew about us and called us up, we were great. But if you didn't, we weren't certainly going to go find you. Mm-hmm. And so we, over the last four years or during the four years under Bison's ownership or part ownership, we instituted what you would call best practices in sales and marketing. And thankfully, it worked out. And Bison was an awesome partner. And they were really great mentors to me. And they were really great partners. And then we, when the pandemic first hit, no one knew what was going to happen to e-commerce. And in hindsight, it's like, oh, yeah, e-commerce exploded. But no one knew what was going to happen to e-commerce. <laughs> From March to May of 2020, this was not a foregone conclusion. <laughs> it was not. It was in the summer of 2020 that we started noticing our customer sales were hitting Black Friday 2019 numbers every week. Mm-hmm. But there was this two-month window where, shoot, you know, are our customers going to go out of business? And therefore, our customers go out of business? Are we going out of business? Mm-hmm. So there was this window. Mm-hmm. And... Once we realized it was a tailwind, it was like, wow, this is a great time. And we simultaneously saw that had hit. Our company was just operating at a level it had never operated before. Sales and marketing had really had grown up and we had figured out a process that worked and scaled. So it was a good time for us to look. SaaS companies were, you know, are obviously favorably valued. And so we made the decision at our December of 2020 board meeting, we made the decision to hire a banker and explore options. And mm-hmm. really position ourselves for the next phase of growth. So Equality bought out Bison as well as a little bit more of the existing shareholders. And they are now the majority owner of the business. Mm-hmm. But they're not operators. So not management changes, but they are, they are my new capital partners. And I work with them closely. And that was why we did it. Okay. And you're not disclosing the amount? No, that was a decision they made, which I was fine with. It was you know, much, much larger than the Bison capital amount. But you know, yep. they ultimately decided that... They thought that there was no particular reason to tell everyone. And the money is used, you just said, it's used to the next stage and to take the company, to grow the company to the next stage. Yeah, you know, like I said, I think this is the golden age of e-commerce. I think there's still a lot of room in B2B e-commerce. I think there's still a lot of room for what you might call, you know, the meat and potatoes of American business to digitize and become efficient. So that doesn't mean people who, you know, it doesn't mean people have never been on the internet or selling it on the internet. That, that day has come and gone. But there are a lot of businesses because it takes a long time for the inertia of a business to catch up. There's a lot of businesses that could still be much more efficient with their technology. They could make it easier for their customers to buy, whether it's another business or a consumer. They could make it easier to track inventory. They can make the whole process easier. And I think the next golden age of e-commerce that we're kind of coming into now is in five years, if you have not optimized your business, take advantage of the productivity gains of an e-commerce focused business, your competitors will have and they'll beat you. Because if I have to pay a human salesperson or account manager to manually do a bunch of stuff that I can automate via digital tools, I'm going to do it at a more cost-effective basis. And then therefore, over time, I'm going to beat my competitors by offering a similar or equivalent good for cheaper. And that's kind of how this all works in the big picture if you can separate the wheat from the chaff. So does that next stage include Miva going public? You know, maybe. You know, I would have told you four and a half years ago when the Bison investment that, God, that sounds like a long road. It still sounds like a long road, but now it, it sounds, seems like a road that's achievable. And mm-hmm. so five years from now, we'll need to be public. It's, I'm going to say it's quite possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I've got one last question for you. Yep. We've talked about your 20 years in the business, everything that you've achieved since you've come back to the business, which is impressive. What's the future for Rick? You just mentioned your sailboat. 
What's in the future for Rick? I don't actually, I, you know what? I try to learn from the wisdom of others. I don't actually own a boat. I rent boats. And so okay. <laughs> I've always heard the best two days of a, a boat owner's life is the day they buy the boat and they sell their boat. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, uh, no, I'm a, I'm a boat renter. But, uh, you know, I would mm-hmm. say this. I've been a very lucky, fortunate, blessed person, Carrie, and I have a chance to mm-hmm. love what I do. So the future, as far as I can see it, is Miva. And mm-hmm. what makes me passionate is, you know, we all have to go to work every day in some form or another. We've got to pay our bills. And so, and usually paying your bills, unless you were born independently wealthy, comes from going to work. And even in a pandemic world, but definitely pre-pandemic, we tend to spend more time every day with people we work with than any other group. And I think so many businesses, because it's hard to do, underestimate the value of culture, even if they properly estimate the value of culture, they don't know how to do it. And so what's super inspiring for me is to, I, I'm trying to crack the code at Miva of building a sustainable corporate culture that people are just, people want to work at. And if you can do that, if you can get impassioned employees who want to be part of a team, then you can accomplish things that money alone can't accomplish, right? I think Shopify is actually a great company, but no amount of money can cause Shopify to buy out my culture. And so I see... Mm-hmm. Culture is the thing that we're trying to pioneer Amoeba in a unique way. And that's my passion. That and building a product for entrepreneurs is what keeps me going every day. Well, you've done a terrific job and that makes total sense to me. So I can relate. Anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to touch on? No, I mean, if you're interested in my book or what I have to say, check out my podcast. It's at dragonproof.us. But other than that, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, Gary. And your book is available on Amazon. Yep. Ironically, you know, as much as Amazon is the dragon in my world, <laughs> we use Amazon, I think they call it Amazon AKD or Amazon Kindle Direct. So you can go publish your books via Amazon. So anyone who's a budding writer out there, write a book and then you can go publish it on Amazon. And it's nice and easy. Well, that's cool. And the website, of course, is Miva.com for folks that aren't familiar. Yep. Miva is at Miva.com. That's cool. Well, Rick Wilson, the president of Miva, it's been a fun conversation and I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, Carrie. Always a pleasure on my side. Okay, so long.